Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for standing by, and welcome to the Viva Systems Fiscal 2023 First Quarter Results Conference Call. All lines have been placed on mute to prevent any background noise. After the speaker's remarks, there will be a question and answer session. If you would like to ask a question during this time, please press star followed by the number one on your telephone keypad. If you would like to withdraw your question, again, press star one. Thank you. Atto Garrett, Senior Director of Investor Relations, you may begin your conference. Good afternoon and welcome to BMIS Fiscal 2023 First Quarter Earnings Conference Call for the quarter ended April 30th, 2022. As a reminder, we posted prepared remarks on Viva's Investor Relations website just after 1 p.m. Pacific today. We hope you've had a chance to read them before the call. Today's call will be used primarily for Q&A. With me today for Q&A are Peter Gassner, our Chief Executive Officer, Paul Shawa, EVP Commercial Strategy, and Brent Bowman, our Chief Financial Officer. During this call, we may make forward-looking statements regarding trends, our strategies, and the anticipated performance of the business, including guidance regarding future financial results. These forward-looking statements will be based on our current views and expectations and are subject to various risks and uncertainties. Our actual results may differ materially. Please refer to the risk listed in our earnings release and the risk factors included in our most recent filing on Form 10-K. Forward-looking statements made during this call are being made as of today, June 1, 2022, based on the facts available to us today. If this call is replayed or viewed after today, the information presented during the call may not contain current or accurate information. Viva disclaims any obligation to update or revise any forward-looking statements. We may discuss our guidance on today's call, but we will not provide any further guidance or updates on our performance during the quarter unless we do so in a public forum. On the call, we may also discuss certain non-GAAP metrics that we believe aid in the understanding of our financial results. Our reconciliation to comparable gap metrics can be found in today's earnings release and in the supplemental investor presentation, both of which are available on our website. With that, thanks for joining us, and I will turn the call over to Peter. Thank you, Atto, and welcome to everyone on the call. It was a great start to the year for Vivo, with strong first quarter results above our guidance. We also crossed the $2 billion revenue run rate mark for the first time. Total revenue was up 16% to $505 million, and subscription revenue was up 18% to $403 million. Non-GAAP operating income was $200 million, or 40% of total revenue. Things are going well. Demand is strong as customers look to establish the right digital foundations for the future, and our industry partnerships continue to get more strategic. We're executing well against our long-term plans, and our innovation engine is really firing on all cylinders. We're building a very durable business with a long runway of growth ahead. At this point, we'll open up the call to your questions. Ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to ask a question at this time, please press star followed by the number one on your telephone keypad. Your first question comes from the line of Brent Bracelin with Piper Sandler. Your line is open. Good afternoon. Uh, I guess, Peter, uh, Viva closed one of the largest deals in the history of the company here, arguably in a macro environment where there's clear challenges. Could you just drill down into kind of the decision uh, for that customer to kind of go all in on Viva on the clinical side? Uh, it looks like a, a very large, comprehensive deal, just trying to better understand why a top 20 pharma would make this move in an environment where there's still some 
you know, pretty significant challenges out there. Thanks. Uh, yeah, it's a great question. This is a really a long-term thinking move by the customer. They thinking of this in 10- and 20-year horizons, so they wouldn't be really faced by uh, specifics of the, of the macro environment. So this is about, yes, applications in the clinical area, but also in the quality and the regulatory area. Um, not all of our de uh, development cloud, but a big portion of it. So when they're doing that, it's a very top-down decision. It's like building a huge factory. That's why it's it's not affected um, by the macro environment. It, and then if you get it, what they're trying to do is laying the foundation for efficiency, digital efficiency, getting getting drugs to market faster to help patients. So it's a long-term play by the customer and sort of an executive-level decision. Helpful. And then just a quick follow-up for, for Brent here as you think about uh, capital allocation, the company is generating a significant amount of free cash flow here, uh, a strong balance sheet. How are you thinking about, you know, shareholder uh, allocation, capital allocation, just given the very strong cash assets you have and, and, and strong free cash flow? Thanks. Yeah, thanks for the question, Brent. Uh, yeah, so we, we do have $2.8 billion in cash, and, you know, our business model has consistently been able to generate cash, so we're very pleased with that. And our focus is, you know, primarily to invest for growth. And specifically, you know, we're going to be looking um, at ways like M&A for use of our cash. But, you know, but we're going to take a disciplined approach as we look at M&A. Uh, we have had some very good successes like Crossix and Zinc where, you know, we have good synergistical uh, connection with them from a technology but also from a people perspective. So, you know, M&A is an area that, you know, we're, we're looking at for use of cash and, and, but we'll take a disciplined approach about that. That's all I had. Thank you. Your next question comes from the line of Joe Rubink with Baird. Your line is open. Uh, great. Hi, everyone. Uh, I was maybe just hoping to start by walking through some of the moving pieces, uh, the forecast for the year now versus what was presented a quarter ago and maybe split out, you know, organically what's changed versus uh, certainly FX is in there, and then anything else you would call out, uh, particularly as it relates to your hiring plans and how that is influencing the view into the second half of the year. Yeah, thanks, Joe. It's Brent. Yeah, so um, first off, you know, we're pleased with our execution in Q1. We executed extremely well across all of our metrics. Um, and as if you look out at the full year, we did increase our, our total revenue guide by about $5 million, now specifically to services. We did call out uh, FX exposure. You know, traditionally FX is not material uh, to Viva, but with the strengthening of the dollar, the USD relative specifically, uh, and most importantly to euro as well as the yen, it has had an impact. So it's about a $20 million impact. And more than half of that on the revenue line was created in the last 90 days. So that's that's a, a new piece of information. And that was $30 million on the billing line. So absent that FX impact, we would have increased our subscription revenue line for the full year and our total billings for the full year. Um, so that's going to give you some context on the top line. Regarding hiring, we have an outstanding hiring quarter. We hired 203 net employees. That's another quarter of 20-plus percent growth. And in doing that, we were able to still increase our operating income uh, guide for the full year by $10 million. 
So you can see the operational efficiency we're seeing in our, in our fundamental model and how that flows through to op income. So demand overall is strong. We're excited about the demand profile we're seeing, and uh, that, that kind of gives you, informs you a bit on our full year view. Okay. Uh, thanks, Brent. That's helpful. And then uh, more on uh, product traction. I, I wanted to focus on ETMF because it looks like it actually picked up momentum sequentially just based on the new customer ads. And I seem to recall that uh, CTMS was already setting up for a big year. So I, I kind of think about ETMF as maybe a feeder for broader clinical engagement ultimately. I guess if both ends of the spectrum are doing well, maybe where, you know, what inning, to use an analogy, might we be in in terms of penetration of the clinical opportunity and just how impactful that could be for R&D this year? Yeah, clinical is certainly a long, long runway. It's a very big area of life, of life sciences. ETMF, we, I think we sold our first customer roughly in 2012, and it takes a while to really to become the dominant player. And uh, we're there now with ETMF, and there's a network of, of a network effect. ETMF is just the thing you do in clinical. Probably the next farthest along is our is our CTMS and study startup products. They're getting to be you know pretty pretty uh, pretty dominant products. And then the clinical data management is is yet to come. That's very early in its life cycle, CDMS, the clinical data management. And beyond that, you have the digital trials, the MyViva for patients, things right out to the patient. So really long runway of growth in clinical. It's a big critical area, and at macro level, we're just getting started there. And you're right, ETMF is a, a very strong base because that's the – foundational system of record of documentation for a clinical trial that every pharmaceutical company is required to have. Great. Uh, thank you very much. Your next question comes from the line of Brian Peterson with Raymond James. Your line is open. Uh, hi, gentlemen. Thanks for taking the question. So I just want to follow up on, on Brent's line of questioning. Uh, you know, in terms of these large wins with multiple products, you know, I'm curious, as we think about the later stage pipeline, you know, how many potential products are they looking at? Is it, is it sweet adoption across the board? Or, you know, how, how do we think about attach rates and deal sizes for what's in a later stage pipeline? Well, It'll vary by customer. Now, there's there's very few of the large pharma that are going to take that very broad suite approach simply because of the fact that many of the large pharma are started in, in one area or another with Viva. So I think the most common in the large pharma would be uh, looking at a suite of things and then starting in the area of that suite and then graduating from there. In the smaller pharma or the emerging biotech, it's more common to look at the whole development cloud all at once and sort of know that that's the direction you're going, but you'll consume products as you need them. So, for example, the earliest thing you need in a small biotech is probably our quality products because you need that even before you run a clinical trial. Great. And maybe just a follow-up uh, on hiring. Um, you know, it sounds like you're continuing to add to the team. We've heard from some other software companies that, that maybe they're scaling back those efforts a little bit. You know, as you think about the investments that you're making and the growth opportunities, you know, how are you thinking about hiring in, in, in that posture going forward? 
Yeah, hiring, you know, we always want to attract the top talent that has a great, what we call a why Viva, an authentic reason to, to be at Viva, and that's always going to be tough. Uh, right now, the hiring environment is tough, but not as tough as it was before, because there's a bit of downturn in the in the tech market, especially in the in the early phase of the tech market, the sort of speculative uh, startups. People feel that, and so there's a, a flight to quality. So hiring it has been a bit easier for us. Uh, so in summary, I'd say it's it's a good hiring environment, and we we certainly don't have any hiring freeze. Thanks, Peter. Your next question comes from the line of Dylan Becker with William Blair. Your line is open. Yeah, hey, guys. Thanks for taking the question. Uh, maybe, Peter, one for you. Um, as we talk about that, that large-scale deal, historically maybe there were different purchasing decisions between the sales and marketing and the R&D um, teams, but can you walk through maybe how the broader standardization converges these swim lanes to that executive level that you just kind of touched on? Um, and the confidence that you have, given that you've served as that, that industry strategic partner, um, for potentially more of these deals to kind of work themselves through the pipeline in, in coming quarters and years? Yeah, it, it's we have a broader product portfolio um, that allows us to be closer to the customer, have more strategic discussions, have more account partner coverage because we have a broader, broader product portfolio. So it does tend to force the discussion up a level. Now, rarely do we see the discussion combine across the commercial side of the business and the R&D side of the business, because those are viewed quite quite differently. More so what we see is across the different areas of R&D, clinical quality, regulatory, we see that crossing, and across the different areas in the commercial area, sales, medical marketing, that's where we see the crossing happening. I would say another significant area where we see crossing, just the early signs of crossing, is our business evolved, started out from the software side. It's really growing now. It's starting to grow into the data side and then and the consulting side. So that's crossing is happening. Looking at our software, or also looking at our data. Hey, heard something about the data, maybe it's time to evaluate that software. Hey, maybe we help need some help with the business processes. So that's where early, early view, that's where the crossing, I think, is going to happen in the future. Yeah, that's, that's super helpful. Thanks for the color there. And maybe that kind of leads into the second one for, for Paul. Uh, we talked, I think, about maybe the broader rollout of, of prescriber and sales data for Data Cloud this quarter and next, now culminating that with, with Link and Open Data to, to form this, this Data Cloud um, offering. And it's early, right? But how do you think about each of these incremental layers adding to that broader network dynamic, driving maybe even like a gravitational pull around adoption. If you add more sources, more touch points to that core data asset, um, that can refine itself and deliver uh, greater value over time as well. Thanks, guys. Yeah, so it's a good question. And, you know, we are expanding our data portfolio, as you've seen over the last several years, you know, starting with open data and then uh, Link. We've had a lot of momentum. We announced Compass. It was called Data Cloud initially. And, now the branding is Compass, which is our patient and prescriber and sales data. Uh, you know, these data sets are for different purposes and different reasons, but there's, there is a network effect. There is value when you can connect all of these data sets together. And we talk about building our data sets on a common data architecture. And what that means is they're fundamentally connected 
at a, at a, at a lower level, at a more foundational level. And what that means for our customers is they're able to get more value when they start pulling all of the pieces together. So, you know, it's on us to sell the value of each of those products individually, but our customers get more value over the long term when they combine our data, each individual data product with other data products, but also with our software. Uh, we design them to be, you know, interoperable and work together and create more value. So there is, in a sense, a network effect is this idea that, you know, more products is more valuable than the, the sum of each of the individual pieces. Great. Thanks, guys. Appreciate that. Your next question comes from the line of Rishi Jaluria with RBC Capital Markets. Your line is open. Oh, wonderful. Hey, guys. Thanks so much for taking my questions. Um, first, I wanted to uh, uh, maybe drill a little bit more into to the macro side of things. You know, it looks like things are pretty resilient on your front, which is great to see, but also I think expected just given the end market you're dealing with. Um, can you talk a little bit about maybe are there any areas that you are seeing softness uh, at all? I mean, we have heard about biotech funding slowing down. Some CROs are, are, are slowing down their hiring that, they, that they've talked about publicly. Um, and, and then maybe on, on the med tech side of the business, any, any kind of macro uh, things there? Maybe help us understand those, those pieces and I have a follow-up. Uh, I received this, Peter. Yeah, really, we're not seeing the macro effects uh, in any particular segment. Um, zero life sciences industry overall is pretty robust, right? It's not a cyclical industry, and the science is propelling it forward. The precision medicine, the renewed focus on vaccine, the the RNA platform. So the science is propelling it forward. Um, so I'm not, and now as far as medtech, also the science is moving things forward in medtech as well. In addition to the regulatory environment in medtech is becoming, you know, more more stringent. There's more regulatory requirements, especially in the clinical area. So that's driving adoption. So not seeing any softness. All right, wonderful. And then, and then, Peter, in your prepared remarks, you, you you talked about some of the success that you're seeing from, you know, having the in-person conferences again, and 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 arguably how it's maybe more important than than before with everyone working remotely. Can you talk to us a little bit about what what has just been the the general customer feedback off your first in-person conference, and in, and in, in I guess more than two years, uh, and 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 more importantly, you know, as these conferences come back and, and you start to extend those two-day conferences. What, what sort of impact do you, do you expect? Is that something that, you know, more customers will start to think strategically about going all in on Viva? Is it, uh, you know, just, just from a networking perspective? What sort of kind of benefits do you expect to see now that we're, we're, we're back to in-person conferences uh, for you guys from a business perspective? Thanks. Yeah, just the overall speed of business in the long term. Connectivity, relationship building, knowledge sharing, the position that Viva has as the place where you get together in person. Yeah, to learn about Viva, that's one thing, but also to oftentimes we have customers meeting their uh, far-flung teams together in person at the first time at a Viva Summit. So they may extend a day and do their own planning meetings, and that's something we, we facilitate and, and participate in. So that's... Um, that's really what it means. You know, it moves business forward. Summits have always been a key part of our industry cloud, always been a key part. We And in person, it's hard to replicate on the phone. One of the things we've done is op, we're going to optimize, we are optimizing the format going forward so that it's 
more free time for connections, actually. So, you know, we'll record some of the sessions so you can see them before or after. And at the summits, yes, we'll have sessions, but more free time for connections because that's what customers are, are craving. I think that's going to help the industry move forward. All right, wonderful. Thank you so much. Thanks. Your next question comes from the line of Sakit Kalia with Barclays. Your line is open. Okay, great. Hey guys, thanks for thanks for taking my questions here. Um, Peter, maybe maybe for you, uh, a, a lot of talk about data cloud in the prepared comments. Can you just talk a little bit about early reception to data cloud and maybe more specifically, how much appetite is there out there for alternative product in in, in or alternative data, I should say, in spaces like like prescription, for example. Yeah, great, great question. It's definitely early adopter for um, for data cloud, and specifically in the area of Compass, the Compass part of data cloud, because there's been a a, a vendor there, a company there that sort of set the standard, and it's just the way you do it, and and that's for literally more than 20 years. So people have just gotten become accustomed to that. So it'll take a while before the first customers really have success, before we refine our products, and before people see that, wow, there's a fundamentally different way to do this. Instead of selling data by the record and delivering it in a file, you'll sell it by the, by the use case, unlimited data by the use case, and deliver it through software. So that's a... That's different, and that's the definition of, a, of an early adopter who's going to understand that, lean into that change, and it will be a small part of the market that wants to go that early adopter. And so when, when the value proposition is proved out, um, then you can start moving into the mainstream. So it's actually happening just like we thought it would happen. That's great. Good to hear. Um, Paul, maybe for, for you, um, maybe just digging into, into the commercial side a, a little bit more, particularly the CRM side, how does churn look there? And, and, and what are you hearing from, from commercial customers on, on how they're thinking about their sales forces long term? Does that make sense? It does, yes. So uh, on the churn and attrition side, you know, first we, we had a, had a really strong quarter in CRM. We added 12 customers. Uh, we increased our, our share again in the quarter, uh, so another really strong quarter. Uh, you know, the, there was some churn and, and some attrition, which is what we expected. It was in line with what we had anticipated and planned for, and it was offset. You know, from a, from a user perspective, a seat perspective, it was more than offset uh, by the expansions that we had. You've probably heard Peter talk about the, um, the wins in the domestic Japanese market, uh, largely offset any churn and any attrition. Uh, the, I think the second part of your question is how are companies thinking about their, their sales forces long term? You know, this is the, it's one of the most effective, if not the most effective channel to the market and the sales team's sales forces work. Uh, you know, so the, most companies are thinking, you know, on the margins, how do they, how do they tweak? How do they gain a little additional productivity and efficiency? How do they become more digital? What's that optimal mix look like? Uh, but fundamentally, the, the sales force is a really critical channel, particularly as many of our customers are more focused on highly specialized medicines. You just need that human being and that human relationship to educate and, and bring those medicines to market effectively. 
a really strategic and important channel, and uh, you know I think we'll see over the you know through the rest of this year some tweaking on the margins, uh, but the um, but it, it's certainly a strong and important channel for the industry. Very helpful. Thanks, guys. Your next question comes from the line of Stephanie Davis with SBB Securities. Your line is open. Hey, guys. Thank you for taking my question. Congrats on a solid quarter. Could you give us an update on some of your hiring processes? Because you did say in the repair remarks that uh, another strong hiring quarter. And if so, has it had any impact to sales, like you mentioned last quarter? Is there any way to tease out the impact of Dylan's timing or, or RevRec as a result? Yeah, so we got on your so on your question, Stephanie Hayes, Brent. So you know, our 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 plans were to you know hiring at the pace we are. We have you know, like you said, a, a strong um, Q1 hiring quarter of about net 203 people, and you know, from our ability to execute on revenue and billings, we have the capacity to deliver our guide. So we feel really good about our ability to, to deliver on the guide and the headcount we're bringing on board and and how they're ramping up. So we feel really good about that. Another quick one for you, Brian. Could you help us understand the large wind flow through the billing? Like, should we think of this as being built all at once, or is it going to give a halo effect to further quarters um, beyond one few? Yeah, so, you know, the, the large deal you know, we talked about earlier, we're really excited about that. And most importantly on that deal is, you know, it's a, a great proof case, proof point for the operating system for, for, uh, for development. Now, we're not going to get into the specifics of, of, you know, how any one transaction is accounted for because, um, you know, we're, we're very focused on customer success, so no one deal is the same. So it has been factored into our guidance. You know, we, when we set guidance, we look at, you know, the pipe that's in front of us, we look at the actual, we look at the macroeconomic environment. So it's all been factored in. Super helpful. Thank you. As a reminder, if you would like to ask a question at this time, please press star followed by the number one on your telephone keypad. Your next question comes from the line of Ryan McDonald with Needham. Your line is open. Hi, uh, thanks for taking my question and congrats on the right quarter. Uh, Peter, you know, I was wanted to follow up on the, on the large uh, customer win, and you talked about sort of the decision with being made with 10 to 20 year increments, you know, despite obviously, so, so essentially ignoring sort of near term macro impact. I'm curious, though, you know, as you think about implementations and project work, are you seeing any changes in, in sort of the pace of which those large deals that you win are getting implemented, given what we're seeing from a macro perspective? Yeah, Ryan, good question. No, we're we're not really. I think what's happening, there was some disruption six months ago, I, I would say, you know, COVID hitting Omicron, COVID fatigue, early inflation worries, things like that, the holidays. Uh, we're not seeing that, and that hit, you know, Viva and our customers. We're not seeing that type of, of slowdown anymore. Um, customers have, you know, they've, it generally feels like they've weathered the COVID storm, which we got to remember that was, that was really something for life sciences, right? That was, that was really something, disrupted their product plans, et cetera. And then, you know, then we had hiring and then we had inflation. It kind of, kind of threw that now. Um, so, no, I don't see those same dynamics. Thanks for the clarification. Brent, maybe a follow-up for you. Um, you know, a question we're getting a lot in almost every investor meeting is, 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 obviously, given the state of the market and valuations coming down, 
is questions around share-based compensation and how we should think that's trending uh, throughout fiscal 23. You know, we noticed obviously compared to fourth quarter, uh, number was up, you know, slightly or maybe more so than we seasonally expected. Can you just remind us on how you're thinking about share-based compensation for 2023? Yeah, I mean, share-based compensation is, is a, a key um, portion of our overall compensation philosophy. If you think, you know, about, uh, you know, our, our base salary and then kind of the overall um, equity portion of, of the balance. So it's an area that we are, you know, reflected. It's been reflected into our, our guide, um, and it's an instrument that we think is important from a retention perspective and from an employee success perspective. So it is uh, definitely a lever that we uh, we use to uh, to drive a, a fair overall compensation structure for employee success. Thank you. Your next question comes to the line of Kirk Matern with Evercore ISI. Your line is open. Hey, guys. Uh, this is Adi on for Kirk, um, but thanks for seeing the questions. just wanted to ask a little bit of a follow-up on the, on the FX stuff. Um, obviously, you said there's a, the headwind, but um, can you talk a little bit about what you're seeing specifically um, in the pipeline that kind of gives you the confidence for digging up that, um, digging up the guide? Um, whether that's just larger dealers or is it just like kind of across the board? And then uh, yeah, the second question was just yeah, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, Grant, you had two parts. I'm sorry, I think it's a one-part question. Go ahead. Yeah, no, second part was just about um, you had a really strong start with with billings this quarter. Um, why not raise it um, going forward? Is there and also is there like any FX impact on billings outside just that revenue component? Thanks. Yeah. Yeah, happy to, happy to answer that. So just kind of step back just to over level set on the FX impact. So, so overall, you know, real, real happy with the, with the, the strength of the business. Now the FX impact was on the full year basis was 20 million on revenue and it was 30 million on billings. So that's a, a headwind on both of those line items. Overall on an off income perspective, there's kind of a natural hedge with our cost structure relative to revenue in um, foreign currency. So it's, it's minimal to no impact on the off income basis. So important to kind of level set on that. The other piece that's important that is, you know, more than half of that FX headwind was created in the last 90 days. So as a result, you know, we were, that impacted our ability to increase the full year guide for both subs revenue as well as total billings. Absent that, we would have increased our guide for those, those two numbers. You also asked what gives, gives me confidence in the guide for the year. So we do expect for slight revenue acceleration in the back half of the year. And, and why, why, do we, why do we have confidence in that? We have confidence in that because we do have good visibility um, to the deal flow for the year. And, you know, we are a strategic partner to, um, you know, a critical industry, and our software and solutions are, are serving the need of their critical business processes. So this isn't a transactional business that, you know, we manage on a quarter-to-quarter basis. So because of that, we have good visibility. So with that, you know, we have confidence on the full-year guide. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Your next question comes from the line of Ryan Bruster with Morgan Stanley. Your line is open. 
Hi, thanks for taking my question. Um, I found your disclosure on PE being 1.5% versus 3% pre code initiative. Do you expect PE to remain near this level moving forward? And is that becoming a broader trend in the farm industry? I'm trying to think about it in the sense of uh, the bigger picture discussion on the chain role of farmer reps and how this could maybe imply how the industry is evolving and what tools need to kind of adapt to this hybrid environment moving forward. Okay, so I think it's a, a kind of a two-part question here. Brent, why don't you take the first one as to our, our internal, and then, Paul, you can take the second one as the industry, because those are actually two different things. Yeah, so let me let me kick that off. And yeah, so, you, so you're right. We, you know, as we have been um, highlighting, we expected spending, travel and event spending to, to come back in um, and be you know, a bit of a, a headwind to op income in fiscal year 23. And, and that has happened. So we're at about, you know, one and a half percent of revenue. We're about a half a percent of revenue in fiscal year 22. Um, that, that's a good thing. You know, you know, why is that a good thing? Because, you know, as, as Peter mentioned, with the excitement we had with in-person events, with the, with the commercial summit we had last week, that's a great example. You know, the other piece to think about is, you know, we, we're a work-anywhere company. And what is really important, and we've gotten that, we've gotten that right from day one, and we've been consistent. So, but with that, you know, connecting is, is really important. So we expect, you know, different functional groups to travel to stay connected, um, and that's all going to be, you know, part of the equation. Now, looking out, where could this be? It's early, right? Where this ultimately lands, you know, is, is you know, is, is to be determined. But for the guide for the year, we expect uh, the, the travel and events to, you know, accelerate a bit through the course of the year. That, that's our expectations for now. There, there was a second part, and, and uh, I don't mind. Can you can you repeat the second part of the question again, just so I'm answering the right question? Sure. I guess the second part was just on uh, what this might imply in the industry if it's, if it's continuing across all of pharma, for the changing role of pharma uh, pharma reps, and how maybe the broader selling model in the industry is changing. What that means for headcount and technology. Yeah, what it what it means. So, um, you know, we we've talked about uh, some of the shift that's happening in the industry, where um, you know, the industry is becoming a little bit more efficient. They're increasing their mix of digital into the sales force. So that's one impact that's changing. That's creating a little bit of an opportunity for companies where where, where they become more productive. They're able to do more with less, and we're seeing that play out. We've been talking about that for some time. I think the other impact that we're seeing. So that that will have a an impact on overall headcount, particularly of the field sales force. Um, but there are other roles beyond just the sales reps. Uh, one example are medical, like field medical teams. These are the, the more high science type uh, type people who call on doctors or thought leaders and scientific experts. Um, that's one example of a different kind of role. Many companies are thinking about different roles in the field. Medical is one good example, and some of those are actually increasing. So the role of medical is becoming more important over time. Um, we're seeing other kinds of roles emerge in the commercial and in the medical side. So there's, in some cases, there's some reductions. In other cases, there's, there's increases. And, um, you know, we, we've kind of talked about that overall sizing uh, for some, some time now. Uh, yeah, so we, we see the kind of the, the size and the shape shifting just a little bit. Uh, and we're, you know, we're happy to be part of helping the, the industry be able to and make those adjustments and become more productive. Very helpful. Thank you. 
there are no further questions at this time, I'll turn the call back to CEO Peter Gassner for closing remarks. Thank you, everyone, for joining the call today, and thank you to our customers for your continued partnership and to the Viva team for your outstanding work in the quarter. Thank you. This concludes today's conference call. You may now disconnect.